<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hello, Heart of Healthcare listeners. This is your host, Hallie Tecco. If you're enjoying listening to the Heart of Healthcare, can I please ask you to leave us a review on Apple Podcast? This helps us reach more listeners and grow our impact. Okay, now on to today's show. 77% of American households are in debt. And from 2017 to 2021, there were over 3 million personal bankruptcy filings. There's a stigma around debt and bankruptcy, like some moral failing or irresponsibility of the person. But the truth is, for the majority of cases, people are forced to decide between debt and their health. They're paying for their medications or life-saving surgery. Healthcare is just so expensive in this country, Americans can't afford it. Medical bills are the most common reason for bankruptcy And as the pandemic lingers and a potential recession looms, medical debt remains a barrier for many in securing economic stability and good health, especially for marginalized communities. Medical debt deepens inequity and the healthcare affordability crisis in our country. The stories of people affected by medical debt shine a light on the toxic stress and stigma that comes with medical debt increasing the urgency for solutions and a shift in the narrative from medical debt from a personal failure to systems failure. Today's guest is the CEO of RIP Medical Debt, a nonprofit that buys medical debt at a steep discount and then wipes it out entirely. Beneficiaries receive a letter in the mail that their debt has been erased. They have no tax consequences or penalties. And just like that, they're free of medical debt. Allison, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me and for that awesome introduction. I really appreciate you. <laughs> I do my homework. I enjoy doing my homework. Really? Um, yeah, and I, I got really fired up reading about the magnitude of this problem. Maybe you can start by laying the groundwork of the crisis that we're facing with medical debt in the U.S. Yeah, unfortunately, it it hits so many households. 100 million people in the United States have medical debt. It's at least a $195 billion problem. And that's just the evidence that we have from credit reports. But we know there's lots of medical debt that doesn't hit credit reports and is hidden because it could be on credit cards. And then that doesn't get captured as medical debt. Or people borrow money from their friends and family, in which case there is no evidence of it. And so the problem is really uh, huge in the United States and it impacts way too many people and is undermining people's financial well-being as well as their mental health. Yeah. And you guys have relieved more than $8.5 billion in medical debt, which seems like so much, but there's still so much left to go. 
Yeah, I mean, look, what we do is huge. It's really helpful and and significant for the individuals who we help. But I want to be super clear with everybody all the time that we are not the solution to the problem. Mm. We resolve this for individuals and we're helping as many people as we can. We're grateful for everyone that donated to us to help us solve this problem for those people. But we have got to get it together and do something bigger beyond RIP medical debt at the end of the day to solve this problem. Yeah. I did see, though, that bankruptcies have been down the last few years. Do you feel like you guys have made a little dent in that decrease? I mean, it's hard to know and to point a, a direct arrow to us. What I what I do hope we're doing is bringing more attention to this issue. And so I hope that people are, you know, to your point, not seeing this as a personal failing, that they're understanding the system of, of health care and, and financing and making better decisions so that they can avoid having to go to the step of bankruptcy. Uh, whether or not that, you know, you can do point a direct arrow to our work and the decrease in, in bankruptcies, I, I don't know. But at the end of the day, I do think that we are having an impact on the conversation around medical debt and people's understanding of it, which I think is significant. Yeah, absolutely. And how has that conversation been affected by the pandemic and the number of people struggling with medical debt since the pandemic? Yeah, well, we know that, especially initially, a lot of people lost their jobs as a result of the pandemic. Now, we've we've seen a lot of recovery since then, but people, as a result, lost their insurance. Also, people weren't going to the doctors, uh, not only because they didn't have insurance, but because they were scared of, you know, getting COVID. And frankly, ho- hospitals yeah. and other providers were overrun. Uh, so, so the whole um, seeking of care was impacted. Uh, but at the same time, we also saw a lot more government support of individuals in the form of expansion of Medicaid and and relaxing of of who could apply and and who could get it. And that's all being taken away uh, actually right now. Uh, There's some, the the end of the pandemic and the end, official end of the public health emergency is going to impact how many people are on Medicaid, which we anticipate Mm. will reduce how many people have insurance and probably go in the wrong direction in terms of people's access to to good insurance and therefore the impact on medical debt. Who is medical debt most impacting? Is it that those that are uninsured or underinsured, a combination? Yeah, I mean, look, 92% of the population now is insured. I mean, Obamacare or the ACA, as it's also known, definitely helped get people on insurance. The problem is that people are underinsured, to your point. So I would say say, since the majority of Americans do have health insurance, it's actually underinsured who are getting uh, are being hit by medical debt. I think it depends on how you define impacted. You know, if you don't have insurance, the chances are you're the medical debt you end up with is going to be a larger amount because you're going to be, you know, responsible for the full cost of care. However, if you're uh, underinsured, you're going to be responsible for that for that deductible, and you probably don't have it. You know, most Americans are, I think it's like half of Americans don't have $500 in savings to deal with that, and yet many of them have insurance that requires at least a $1,000 deductible, if not $5,000, $6,000 deductibles. The other thing I think is really important to point out is that like so many other things in this country, it impacts communities of color disproportionately and more so. And that has to do with, you know, systemic and historical racism. 
And a lot of it is that patients that are of color go to the doctor and are believed. They don't necessarily have the same outcomes when they have to negotiate for their pricing of their care, things like that. So it also disproportionately impacts people of color. And that's something I always like to flag. Can you walk us through what exactly happens behind the scenes from the appointment that someone isn't paying for, the the hospital stay that they can't pay for, to the debt collector knocking on their door? So it depends on what kind of, whether or not you're uninsured or or underinsured. Um, What happens is it usually takes a while, actually, for the hospital or other healthcare provider to figure out how this bill is going to be paid for. So they'll, you know, send it to your insurance and find out either you don't have insurance or if you, even if you're on Medicaid and maybe it lapsed, there could be a negotiation. There often is between the insurance company and the provider. That could take a year, 18 months. In that process, depending on the provider and their own policies, you may or may not, you know, get a bill in the mail that says you owe this much. You may call and you might fight it. So it really depends. There's no standard uh, approach to debt collection. And it really depends on your response, too. What I like to tell people is if you think that you're getting overcharged, like don't take the first bill. Don't just get a bill and pay it. Mm. Do some investigating. And I hate to say that because I think it's really unfair to put that kind of pressure on individuals, especially when they're you know dealing with a health <laughs> crisis. <laughs> we need one more yeah. thing on your plate. But I do think it's important that people recognize that there are a lot of loopholes and there's a lot of wiggle room, unfortunately, within the bill collection and what you actually owe because we have this sort of patchwork of policies that end up making up our our healthcare financing system. So, you know, it really does take some time before you could end up knowing what you actually owe as an individual. And you have financial assistance policies at hospitals that you need to also sign up for, make sure that you understand them and ask them to either discount what you owe based on your income or give you yeah. free care if you're really low income. One of the procedures that I was shocked, at, so I've gone through IVF and you have to pay up front. You mm-hmm. can't, um, you know, so a lot of people put on their credit cards. A, the majority of people go into debt doing IVF. It's it's really crazy. But because these are privately owned practices, they can say, we're not going to do this procedure until you pay. So you pay up front. But I was shocked when I tried to negotiate and I was successful at negotiating because <laughs> I thought I thought these prices were set in stone in there and they're not. They're and not. I think that we're, you know, it, it is more like going to a car dealer than going to a department store. Right. Which is why I go back to that issue of race. Right. I mean, we know if you there's been so many specials on TV and things like that that show you like the white person goes into a car dealership and they get a better deal than the black person. And the same thing happens in our healthcare system, which is why it's insane that we have a system where you're like, it's like sleazy. Haggling. Yeah, exactly. You're haggling for your healthcare. It's haggling for your healthcare. That should be like a, a course or something. It's insane. You don't feel it with necessarily your physician because they're not in the loop. They don't know, you know what you're paying. It's really these back-end operations and the finance teams behind the scenes. And can you tell me, you know, kind of how it transfers from a that person to a collections agency? Well, so it depends. I mean, honestly, I think at the end of the day, depending on the hospital, they get to d- decide whether or not they want to have their collections in-house, if they want to outsource it. And if they want to take the step of selling it. So, but to the patient, it's sort of opaque. Like they don't know whether or not the person knocking on the door and saying, you owe this much money is the actual hospital 
or as an outsourced entity that's saying they represent the hospital, or yeah. if it's actually been sold. And, and you can ask those questions, but who knows to ask those questions and how to verify whether or not that's true. I mean, there's also like fraud sometimes. I mean, there's, you know, the, the, the situation is sort of a, a real mess in terms of collections and understanding that. Now, I will say that uh, people should, again, go, going back to this, they should ask deeper questions about their bills. They should ask, are, you know, do you own this debt? Uh, but but really, it's so it depends. Uh, unfortunately, I can't I hate to say it like again, but yeah. my answers are it depends. <laughs> we'll be right back after the break. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So beyond the financial implications of being in medical debt, what are the mental health components of living with the burden of owing money that you see? Well, people don't go and get the care that they need. I think that's the number one thing that I would point out is that it's really fundamentally stopping people from going and getting the care that they need when they know that they have a medical debt and or if they're concerned about the ability to pay for medical care that they need. We also know that there's research showing that people are three times more likely to struggle with mental issues like anxiety and depression when they have debt. So it really is doing the opposite of what our healthcare system should be doing because we know that stress undermines people's physical well-being, right? There's a connection between your mental health and your physical health. And if mm -hmm. you are stressed out, you're going to have high blood pressure, you're going to have hypertension. All these things learn lead to a more expensive healthcare needs because you need more interventions. You need to get on medication to deal with your blood pressure, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that's, that's what we know. We know that it, it yeah. has a real implication. People want to pay their bills and they feel like failures when they don't. And then that impacts their mental health. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the misconceptions about medical debt that you'd like to see addressed? 
Well, I think people, first of all, uh, have an old view of medical debt that it's always like $100,000. And it's, you know, it, often the debts are smaller. They're, they're $5,000 uh, to $2,000. They're deductible amounts these days. I would, I would say yeah. that that's one thing that's really uh, important. So it's, and it's not, as you pointed out earlier, not just the uninsured, right? It's the underinsured. The idea that some people have that it's avoidable, right, that you could do um, something to avoid it. You can. I mean, you certainly can try to get insurance and all of that. But there's so many loopholes and there's so many things that aren't covered. You're not in the network and you don't have control over all of those things. You could go to a hospital that's in your network and a doctor that's serving that hospital and serves you isn't in the, in your network and you could end up with a bill. So it's not the fault yeah. of the patient. And I think that that's the number one thing I would get people to understand is that people are victims of medical debt, regardless of doing everything right. We actually know that that's like a fact, that people end up with medical debt that have insurance, that did their research, and it's really unavoidable. So anyone could yeah. be a victim. Yeah. Do you have any specific like success stories or memorable experiences that you've had with individuals or families as they've overcome medical debt through your organization? Absolutely. I mean, this is the favorite <laughs> part, right? I mean, yeah. we get, we get, you know, it's like people are so overwhelmed and they're getting these bills in the mail and then boom, this one letter pops up that's like, hey, guess what? You don't know anything. You didn't do anything and you don't know anything. And that's, that's the best part of my job. So yeah. um, a couple of stories that I, I like to tell is, is one about, um, this man in Utah who was a, a, a veteran, is a veteran, uh, he had nerve damage in his leg from his military service. Um, mm. He needed surgery. Uh, he uh, was not able to have the VA. Um, he had VA coverage, but he still ended up with lots and lots of medical debt as a result of, of needing this surgery. And the heartbreaking part is that then when his son, which he was so proud of, was ready to go to college, he couldn't co-signed the, the, the loan for his oh. son's student medical debt. Like his son <sighs> needed loans and he couldn't co-sign. And yeah. he felt like such a terrible father and a failure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, so were you able to meet him and like, what was your yeah, interaction? Yeah, there's actually, a, yeah. the reason why I like to, we have his story. He actually told, like did, did a oh. video for us. And if you go to our website, you can hear him <laughs> tell the story. And it's just, he's yeah. just like, wow, they took care of that. Some of that medical debt, you know, it's like, it's it's yeah. uh, it's really great. Um, okay. And then and then great. a lot of the people that we help are you know single moms tend to be obviously uh, like so many things they're burdened by medical debt. There was this one woman Terry that had uh, her her child prematurely. You know she was a high school math teacher. You know again doing everything right, um, but and she had insurance and she still ended up medical with medical debt and it followed her for years and years. And that and her <sighs> story is actually captured in an NPR piece that we did. So um, I would also Amazing. point people to look at that. Okay. Yeah. So ripmedicaldebt.org yes, is where to that's right. kind of find these stories. So earlier you had mentioned that RIP medical debt is just a piece of the solution, but there's systemic issues that you'd like to see relieved. You know, what is your role in that? And are you guys moving into more policy, advocacy, healthcare affordability conversations that are an important component to solving this problem. Absolutely. I think we have a responsibility as a group that is cleaning up the mess of the broken system to say, hey, wait a minute, why do I have to do this work? Like, we've got to fix this, right? Like, I mean, my biggest goal is to get ourselves out of business, that we fundamentally <laughs> fix this problem, right? Like, I, I, I often say, like, I'm, I'm pretty employable, I think. I think I can find another <laughs> job. Like, I'd be happy, more than happy to do that. 
for us, what we want to do is make sure that we are lifting up the stories of these individuals, as you just helped me do, so that people understand the impact this is having on people, how widespread it is, and that we could do better. Uh, By doing that, I think we're fundamentally making sure that this issue is front and center, that it stays a priority, and that we are putting pressure on the system, politicians, uh, to actually make some change and to make this a priority. And I'll say we have seen some success. We were invited to the White House last year. The White House put out. I know. (laughs) It was great. And then um, the White House put out a statement recently about all the different things that they're thinking about medical debt and the ways in which they're making changes within the, without having to go to Congress because that's a whole other political fight, uh, yeah. which is, you know, unfortunately, this isn't unique to medical debt that we're not moving a, a, the ball on a lot, of, uh, a lot yeah. of policy changes, right? But they're doing what they can, and all they can do is keep putting that pressure on. So we do have um, a policy, public policy department that we've just started uh, that about, about a year and change ago, and we are. We're, we're looking at what the ways in which we can support greater change and more systemic change and also lifting up the voices of those individuals. And so that's how we see our role in this. Yeah. Amazing. And you joined the organization as CEO right before the pandemic. Can you tell us a little bit about what you did before and what kind of brought you to this organization? Sure. Um, Yeah, it was a crazy time. It was late January, (laughs) late January of 2020. I'm like, I'm going to take on this new role. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do it from my living room with my pre-K kid in um, on my living room floor. floor. Okay, I got this. And I did it. You got tricked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I did it, though. I did it. And I'm grateful. Um, Before coming to, to this role, I was the head of an association of nonprofits providing human services in New York City. So everything from the homeless shelters, after-school programs, child care providers, mental health clinics, et cetera. And what I knew from that work was that we, first of all, we don't spend enough on social services. We spend a lot on health care. That is very different from other uh, places yeah. across the con- uh, other countries. Uh, and I think what that means is that we are, that's why we don't have as good of outcomes because we're, we're not preventive, right? A lot of the, the things that healthcare addresses are what's called social determinants of health, right? So they are things like your environment, where you live, your home situation that impact your your well-being and your health. And we don't spend nearly enough money on those programs. And that's what I was doing was advocating on on their behalf. And when I saw this opportunity at RIP, not only did I understand, because I had seen so many different interventions and, and nonprofits running, that this was different but that it was needed because of the fact that this was really, the issue of medical debt is a clash between a broken healthcare system and a broken uh, economic system, right? I mean, the fact Mm. that people don't have $1,000 is in and of itself a a problem that has nothing to do Mm -hmm. with how we finance healthcare. So it's those two things together that make up this issue of medical debt. And it really aligned with uh, the same populations that I was fundamentally serving through these nonprofits. Uh, that I supported. So um, yeah. so that's why I came to this role and, and, and my background and, and the, the lens I do this work through. Yeah. And we, you know, we all face naysayers working in healthcare. You know, you're in the nonprofit sector, so maybe a little less of the naysayers than uh, for-profits are facing. But can you tell me about some of the biggest roadblocks that you currently face in the job? 
some of the biggest roadblocks, I guess, are getting, you know, there's so much, so many hospitals out there and we have to get to all of them. Yeah. And get them convinced that this is a good thing to do because we're a new thing, right? Like they're like, what, what? You know, everyone's so innovative. Everyone loves to talk about innovative innovation in a healthcare space. And so, and there's always people knocking on, especially revenue cycle folks at hospitals on their doors mm. being like, we have another solution that's going to help you collect more money from the, and it's patient yeah. focused and it's blah, 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 blah. Uh, and so getting them to say like, no, seriously, we're different <laughs> is hard. Yeah. Uh, it's really hard to, to break through, but I think we're making really good progress. We've gotten, you know, some very large hospital systems attention and they're working through us. And, you know, we only started working directly with hospitals about uh, two years ago, a little bit longer. Okay. And so, you know, we, ha we ha don't have a lot under, we have, I don't have a lot of time under our belt working directly with hospitals, yet they are, when they do pay attention, which they have been doing, they come to the table. And so that I think is, is huge. Yeah. yeah. Well, it makes sense, right? Like they, they actually want their patients to not have the burden of the debt so that they can come back and have the preventive ser services that they need to hopefully prevent more, you know, catastrophic healthcare issues. Exactly. What's next for you guys? You talked a little bit about some of the policy work and going to the white house. Like how do you see the organization evolving? So we're building capacity. Like we really want to get our hands on a lot more medical debt. One of the things that's been um, happening, which is pretty incredible, and I'm sort of pinching myself all the time, is that government is knocking on our door left and right. So we've really been leaning into those relationships. For example, Cook County was the first uh, local government to come to us. That's in the Chicago area. They gave us ARPA funds, the American Rescue Plan dollars, they uh, allocated $12 million for us to relieve $1 billion of debt in Cook County. And we've already re relieved uh, $80 million of debt there. And we've got many more hospitals on the horizon. So we'll be doing more work there. The city of Toledo came right behind them and said, wait a minute, we heard about Cook County. Can we do this too? <sighs> so we've got work going on there. We yeah. signed a contract recently with uh, the city of New Orleans We've got at least 30 other city, state, and county governments that have asked us to engage, and many of them have already passed budgets that include funding for RIP medical debts work. So that, I think, is what we're really leaning into at this moment. Amazing. And how can listeners support your mission? They can go to ripmedicaldebt.org, and they can start campaigns. They can make a donation. And you can also, if you're associated with a healthcare provider, get them to call us and to talk to us about selling us their debt. I mean, we did none of this Amazing. works if we don't have access to the debt. Yes. Yeah. We have a lot of providers that listen. So I'm sure their ears are burning right now and they're excited to connect. Allison, thank you so much for being here and thank you for all that you do. Thank you so much for the opportunity and for lifting up this important issue. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Heart of Healthcare. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. The Heart of Healthcare is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our host is Hallie Tecco. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com.